You probably heard that uh, history tends to repeat itself. And uh, I do have to agree in a way that there are many past events that uh, seemingly tend to reoccur and uh, they happen like every every once in a while, almost like in a cyclical manner. And uh, it applies especially to wars, different plagues, crises, economic collapses and revolutions, all those things, they tend to repeat themselves quite often. And uh, there are actually many like commonalities uh, or like very similar uh, patterns that you can see in history that uh, bring those events about. And uh, it's quite, I think it's a quite important lesson to keep in mind, especially during uh, these times that we go through nowadays. And uh, yeah, like this this year 2020 has been quite dramatic and quite uh, eventful. So I've heard the saying that usually nothing happens within decades, but uh, sometimes decades happen within weeks. And uh, yeah, the um, these months of 2020 have been very, very, very eventful. And uh, doesn't it doesn't look like things are slowing down. So um, in a way, I wanted to dedicate this podcast to looking at history and looking at what has happened in the past uh, in terms of these similar events. And uh, in fact, there has been a, like a very similar event in the past exactly 100 years ago, which is like a, which is not a good sign in a way of how history tends to repeat itself. So 100 years ago, there was the Spanish flu, uh, which is also what considered one of the most uh, widespread pandemics uh, of history uh, next to like the Black Black Death and uh, others. So we're going to look into it, what has happened or what happened during the Spanish flu and what happened afterwards and what kind of ramifications even led to like more drastic events and what kind of lessons can we learn from it? Because uh, I think history is going to be a really important thing to look at, uh, like in, in terms of preparing for future events, as well as preventing more ser- serious events uh, from happening. So uh, this episode is going to be talking about the Spanish flu of 1918. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Let's Get Checked is an at-home health testing service that can be used to easily and quickly measure your biomarkers. They offer tests for different vitamins, hormones, thyroid functioning, liver health, kidney functioning and general sexual health. You can get a 20% discount of all their tests by using the code SEAMLUND at letsgetchecked.com. Check out the link in the show notes or use the code SEAMLUND at letsgetchecked.com. In 1918, the world went through one of the deadliest pandemics in history, the Spanish flu. It lasted for 36 months until the year 1920. It infected 500 million people which was about one-third of the world's population at that time. At least 50 million people died, possibly up to 100. This flu killed more people in 24 months than HIV in 24 years. So it was quite deadly. The Spanish flu 
was an especially deadly influenza type virus with a high mortality rate amongst young adults. Nearly half the deaths happened between the ages 20 and 40. So people in their prime years were most affected by it, which is quite the opposite to what we have uh, nowadays. And it was quite uh, uncommon. Uh, It was thought that this was caused by an inflammatory cytokine storm created by the body in response to the infection that uh, basically ravages the immune system and leaves the person more vulnerable to respiratory failure and uh, pneumonia. Younger children and the elderly, they saw fewer deaths because they, uh, they actually have uh, well, like a slightly weaker immune system in response to the virus, and therefore they experience less damage from the cytokine storm as well. So their body doesn't overreact to it. Uh, people who got infected, they started showing adverse symptoms within hours. They got extreme fatigue, high fever, loss of appetite, headaches, and uh, they sometimes even started to turn blue. From the, the skin turned blue. Coughing would often cause foamy blood to be expelled from the mouths as well as noses. Many victims died within 24 hours of showing first symptoms. So there wasn't many asymptomatic carriers, so to say. People caught the virus and they died pretty quickly. The lethality was exacerbated by the poor living conditions of most people at that time. You see, most countries were also fighting in World War I, and uh, therefore the population was more malnourished and uh, medical facilities were already slightly overcrowded. Morgues were also forced to stack dead bodies like cordwood in corridors because there weren't enough coffins or people to bury them. That's something that you might have seen in uh, the news nowadays as well. Uh, It may be somewhat uh, exacerbated or over-exacerbated, but at the same time, who knows? Soldiers living in muddy trenches close quarters to each other with virtually no access to proper hygiene or medical treatment also contributed to the high death count in their age cohort. And yeah, it's quite crazy to think about that you're a soldier sitting in this trench in this mud. You don't really have a lot of food. You're cold, you're tired, you're wet. And oh yeah, there's also this killer virus going about and you can also be killed by enemy mortars and uh, other other like bullets and what what not so it's kind of a very quite a cute thing to keep in mind in terms of that because the world war 1 is probably the worst war you would ever want to be in and yeah like it happened to have a virus with it this virus didn't actually originate from spain as the name would like you to think instead the spanish government was the only country that is, that was reporting its prevalence in the global news because uh, they were neutral in uh, World War One. The other countries, they were fighting in the war and they just suppressed their numbers and they didn't report it uh, in a, like a more accurate way because uh, it was like valuable inv- information to their enemies. Over the course of two years, the Spanish flu went through three major waves with the second one being the most deadly. While the first wave, which started at January 1918, resembled previous flu epidemics, the second wave was much worse because of the trench warfare. It began in France late August 1918 and had mutated to a more deadly strain. Soldiers with mild symptoms stayed on the front lines to fight, and uh, thus the virus didn't spread that easily, whereas those with more severe symptoms were taken back into the overcrowded hospitals 
where the disease was able to spread much more easily. The people in the hospitals already had like a slightly weakened immune system, and uh, therefore they were also more susceptible to dying from it. Those who got infected during the first wave and survived showed higher immunity towards the second wave, whereas it was more deadly in the rest of the population who weren't infected initially. As with the first wave, young adults who were seemingly healthy died the most because of their overreactive immune system. The third wave began in January 1919 and lasted until June 1919. After World War I ended in November 1918, people celebrated and they rejoiced on the streets, which um, enabled the infection to spread more rapidly because they ignored all the social distancing and they were like hugging and kissing each other and uh, that kind of uh, offset the second wave of the influenza. It was less severe than the second one, but uh, it was still more deadly than the first wave. The major pandemic came to an end around late 1919, with some people still dying early 1920. Scientists nowadays still don't know the true origins of the virus or how it mutated into much more deadly strains. There's a tendency for influenza viruses to mutate into less lethal strains over the course of time, as more dangerous ones die out. It had also killed a lot of the most vulnerable members of the population, which slowed down the spread. When the majority of the population becomes immune to the virus, it has less victims to infect and eventually dies out. However, it might also mutate into more lethal strains, and the people could also never become immune. So we don't really know how how a particular virus is going to act, and it's a very risky business in... uh, kind of putting your hopes on some sort of herd immunity, because you never know if it's going to develop. In 1920, travel was also a lot more limited. Flying was still in its infancy, and people traveled primarily by ships or cars. So there wasn't that much global migration, aside from the soldiers who were actually thought to spread the flu across the globe initially. Everyday life was severely hampered by the pandemic. A lot of stores shut down, schools were closed, the economy suffered, and public gatherings of multiple people were prohibited. A 2006 study in the Journal of Political Economy found that people who were in utero during the pandemic showed increased physical disability, reduced educational attainment, lower income, and lower socioeconomic status compared to other birth cohorts. Another 2018 study also discovered that the pandemic reduced educational attainment and fewer people graduated from high school. So uh, there are many downstream consequences that affected people even decades later just because how it kind of crippled the entire economy as well as the society in general so uh, yeah it's uh, it has multifaceted consequences that we don't see immediately as the pandemic was slowly dying off the society began to reopen its stores churches and other public spaces before the second wave most cities in the US opened back up like with the flip of a switch, and uh, people hit the streets like normally. Unfortunately, this promoted to the higher mortality of the second wave. The countries went for a more gradual reopening after the third wave, as to not cause another outbreak. And it's important to kind of keep this in mind, so you shouldn't rush (laughs) out and uh, return to normal as if nothing ever happened, because um, it's it's probably going to re-emerge and come back in several waves. After World War I has ended at the end of 1918, there was a seven-month post-war recession 
that shrunk the economy by about 25%. It was caused by both the pandemic as well as the high cost of war. A second, much more severe recession happened in 1920, often called the Depression. It lasted until 1921. In the US, GDP reduced more than 38% and prices fell up to 37%. Unemployment in the UK reached 17%. Most of the world was just so hammered by the war and the pandemic, so a serious recession was just bound to happen. Germany suffered the most during the aftermath of World War I, as they also received severe repressions from the winning countries. Article 231 of the Treaty of Versailles stated that Germany accepted responsibility for all the loss and damage to which the Allied and associated governments have been subjected as a consequence of the war imposed upon them by the aggression of Germany and her allies. In 1921, the total reparation sum was set at 132 billion gold marks, which is about 25 billion dollars at that time. However, Germany didn't have the funds to pay that much money, and uh, they ended up paying only 50 billion gold marks, which was uh, 12.5 billion dollars. However, the aftermath of World War I ushered in what's called the Roaring Twenties. Technology, the automobile industry, radio communication, electricity, and television, they saw massive innovation. This rapid growth was partly caused by resources shifting from wartime production to peacetime production that focuses on improving the economy and increased consumption of consumer goods. In many democratic societies, women also won the right to vote. History often looks at the Roaring Twenties as this crazy liberal outbreak <laughs> or the, where people were just experimenting with new music like jazz. They were often creating these cosmopolitan cities, uh, like very glamorous life. And uh, yeah, people were quite uh, like, I wouldn't say, I, w I, w I don't want to use the word decadent, but yeah, like there, it was quite uh, like a very liberal uh, society in the post-war post era, like during the war they were probably experiencing a lot of like depression and uh, repression and therefore after that uh, like turmoil had been fixed for a while then they kind of bounced back on the other direction in a way, they the, like everything was booming. The Roaring Twenties was brought to a halt by the Wall Street crash of 1929, which led to the Great Depression worldwide. It's the longest and most severe economic depression of the 20th century. On the 4th of September 1929, the US stock market began to see a massive fall in prices, eventually leading to a worldwide crash on October 29. It was also known as the Black Tuesday. Investors traded about 16 million shares in a single day, Billions of dollars were lost. People were panic selling as they saw their wealth disappear into nothingness. Between 1929 and 1932, GDP across the world fell by about 15%. In comparison, the 2008 crash saw a drop of only 1%. Unemployment in the US soared to 23%, and in some countries it was at 33%. Millions of people lost their jobs, lost their homes, and were barely making ends meet. International trade decreased by about 50%. Many industries shut down, with cities with heavy industries suffering the most. In addition to that, there was a severe drought around mid-1930s in the US called the Dust Bowl, which ravaged agricultural land and led to food shortages. 
is thought that the Black Tuesday was just a catalyst to the Great Depression that was bound to happen as a result of the Roaring Twenties anyway. The stock market underwent heavy speculation and a rise in prices, which wasn't grounded in reality. It was a constantly expanding bubble that was about to pop. A lot of the blame was also on the banks that failed to make payments to people who tried to withdraw the money in panic. The Great Depression affected many countries around the world. Because a lot of people lost their jobs and income, many nations weakened by World War I saw a rise in populism and socialist movements. This was especially predominant in Germany, who was already in economic ruins after the war. By the Great Depression, Germany had paid only 20.5 billion gold marks in reparations. The reparations were suspended by international community in 1932. The Weimar Republic, as it was called back then, went through inflation beginning since the end of World War I, but it reached hyperinflation during the Great Depression. They were printing money that was losing its value with every hour. It was basically worthless, and it was more valuable to use it as wallpaper rather than to make payments with. In 1933, Adolf Hitler attained power in Germany as he was appointed chancellor. He had fought in World War I and joined the German Workers' Party in 1919. The name was changed to the National Socialist German Workers' Party, or known as the Nazi Party. It was in opposition to the Democratic Weimar Republic, as well as the Marxist movements that competed amongst the workforce. Adolf Hitler is one of the most known persons of the 20th century, as he is considered to be greatly responsible for starting World War II. The Russian Empire also saw a socialist revolution in 1917, led by Vladimir Lenin. There was a brutal civil war between Reds, or the Communists, and Whites, who represented the Confederation. In 1923, the Reds won, who then established a socialist dictatorship, killing millions of people. These kind of dramatic revolutions and populism usually happen as a result of some crisis like famine, the plague, pandemics, or war. World War I, combined with the Spanish flu, was the perfect catalyst for these kind of extremist ideologies to start flourishing. People's lives are just in ruins, they've lost their job, they don't have any money, they don't have any hope, and the only hope they find is in these extremist ideologies that emphasize that someone is to blame, the, the, the enemy is to blame, some other people are suppressing the population, and therefore they're all suffering. In the past, during the French Revolution, people revolted against the monarchy because they were starving and the country was a shipwreck. Unfortunately, it also established a revolutionary dictatorship that executed anyone who didn't agree with its accord. This is the allure of these socialist movements. So it is true that a lot of external events are responsible for a lot of the turmoil of the world, but in the example of Nazis as well as communists, they tend to take advantage of it, and uh, it's a hoax, <laughs> it's a trick. We're gonna pretend initially that we care about the workforce, but after we establish power, we start to suppress the population, and we kill anyone who disagrees with the regime. And me personally, like, I wasn't born in the Soviet era, but my all my family members do recall living in uh, Soviet Estonia, and uh, they really don't, uh, they don't, would, would never want to go back into it in a way. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a paradise as it might have seen from the outside world. Like that's kind of the, how the communist system uh, works. Everything tends to be okay and fabulous on the outside, but uh, internally it's a, 
it's a mess like there's nothing to be sold most of the store shelves are empty and uh, if if there is something sold then it's rationed out very limited people live in fear you can't say anything wrong and the communist party is the only one who decides what is right or wrong so there's no objective definition of what's good or what's right or wrong <laughs> the communist party determines what is right or wrong and if they don't like anything then uh, you're either going to be going to prison or you're going to get some sort of a fine or just maybe executed on paper the the communist regime sounds great everyone is equal we share our we share our uh, assets we share everything but uh, in reality it's almost impossible to pull it off and uh, even if you do attempt to do it then uh, it more often than not leads to actually this extreme socialist dictatorship like we have in China or that we had in the Soviet Union or what we have in North Korea. There's a lot of lessons to learn from the World War I era and the following years. Hopefully we can use history to not make those same mistakes. So here are some main ideas from the Spanish flu era, the Great Depression and uh, what happened afterwards. First, Pandemics come in several waves. They're constantly mutating and adapting to new conditions. In cases of the Spanish flu as well as the Black Death, the first wave was the least deadly. The second and third wave are almost always more lethal. That's something to keep in mind as we go through some some of these waves. No one knows how many waves a particular pandemic is going to have or when it will die out. What's more, the overall length can also span out over the course of several years or decades even. Second, major crises like pandemics and war are followed up by depressions. They may not be that severe, but you can almost always expect minor contractions as the countries have to recover from wartime efforts. The recession after World War I and the Spanish flu was quite severe and much bigger than the Great Depression. A crisis acts like an economic equalizer or a reset button where a lot of speculations and bubbles get burst. Third, after a depression, the economy tends to go for an upturn. Everything is cyclical. Downtimes are followed by growth as the economy recovers. People regain some of their belief in the economy and they start spending their money again. Scarcity and fear get replaced with enthusiasm and hope. But next, four, major economic growth and upturn isn't permanent. Nothing can't keep growing exponentially forever. There's going to have to be some market corrections and drawbacks. If something keeps expanding with no signs of drawing back, then rest assured it's a bubble and it's going to pop soon. That's exactly what happened in 1929 when the stock market crashed under its own weight. This then led to an economic disaster, the Great Depression, that lasted for several years and financially crippled millions of people worldwide. Fortunately, as the saying goes, this too shall pass, and even the steepest recessions will eventually start rising back up again, until they all come back crashing down again. 5. Great depressions and recessions tend to lead to an increase in populism and nationalistic movements. People are facing financial struggle, and they seek help in socialism and communism. Unfortunately, history shows it doesn't work in the long term. One of the biggest food shortages of the 20th century happened in Soviet Russia and Maoist China, where millions of people starved to death. Dictatorships also impose severe restrictions on people's freedoms and create labor camps, imprisonments, and mass executions. 
And lastly, strong nationalistic ideologies and economic depressions can lead to wars. Dictators like Hitler and Stalin believed so much in their superiority that they wanted to conquer other regions and become even more powerful. This was relatively easy because smaller nations were struck much harder by the Great Depression and thus they were weakened. Although war does require a lot of resources and money, it is also a powerful stimulus for the economy and industry. Germany as well as the US dragged themselves out of the Great Depression thanks to orienting their industry towards military equipment, weapons, tanks, missiles, etc. So there is a financial incentive for people to wage war, at least to a certain extent, at least every once in a while. World War I was the Great War, the Spanish flu was the Great Influenza, and the market crash after the Roaring Twenties was the Great Depression. These are one of the most defining events of history, at least of the 20th century. Arguably, they all brought forth an even greater crisis, World War II. I'm not saying that the Spanish flu caused World War II, but it did contribute to the other events that led to this war. I think World War I caused World War II, but the influenza pandemic across the globe contributed to the other events that caused the Great Depression and a lot of economic downturn. Pandemics have happened throughout history on a regular basis, and they're probably going to keep coming back in the future. In the year 2020, we have the novel coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 that causes the disease COVID-19. Compared to the Spanish flu, COVID-19 is much less deadly and serious. Of course, any lives lost is sad, but it's incomparable to what the 1918 influenza did. People died within hours and days after contracting that virus. Soldiers were also rotting alive in the trenches, they were in life-threatening situation, and on top of that, there was a killer virus running around. That should put things into perspective and realize that the 2020 pandemic is like a walk in the park for most people. All you have to do is stay home and watch Netflix. We should also learn the lessons from the Spanish flu and apply them to COVID-19. They're not the same virus, but our human nature and our society is still pretty much the same. So here are the main lessons we should keep in mind. First, there's going to be more waves. This isn't over by any stretch of the imagination. We're only a couple of months into this pandemic, and the Spanish flu lasted for two years on and off. COVID-19 has been around at least only for like five months. Obviously, we can't keep the entire world under lockdown indefinitely, but we should remember to take additional precautionary measures and uh, still embrace some form of social distancing, although it will probably be less restrict in the coming months. Second, there might not be a vaccine. We don't have a vaccine for the Spanish flu, and we don't have a vaccine for the previous coronaviruses either, like SARS-CoV-1. Vaccines don't have a really good track record in terms of actually working, because the viruses are constantly changing. I'm not anti-vax, but we shouldn't put our hopes on something that might not even work. Instead, a much more effective approach is to find out whether or not any antivirals or other medications can be useful. The least we can do is become healthier people with stronger immune systems. Third, there's going to be a recession. If not a full-blown depression, there's going to be a quite serious recession nonetheless. Like I said, we're only a few months into this, and the economy has gone through one of the biggest crashes of this century. Unemployment rates and business bankruptcy are at all-time highs. Because of the fear about the virus and uncertainty, people aren't just going to go back to normal either we're probably going to have some recession for at least a few years to come.
And lastly, there's going to be political friction. Many countries are trying to find someone or something to point the blame at. In the Western countries, it's China. And in China, it's the US. Tensions between China and the US have already been worsening before the pandemic. And this just adds more fire to the flame. World War III would be a disaster. And I think no one could comprehend what kind of destruction it would create. Even if there won't be a war, political turmoil and conflict will still keep rising. We're probably going to see more rise in populism as we did during the Great Depression because people are suffering financially as well as emotionally. They're going to try to seek refuge from the government. There might be uprisings, there might be revolutions, or the government just starts to restrict more of people's freedoms as to maintain their power. I don't want to be a doomer, but I think that it would be quite naive to think that everything is going to go just back to normal and life is just the same as before. History tends to repeat itself way too often and uh, we should learn from it as much as possible. One thing is for certain, the coming next years are going to be tough and uh, there will be a lot of uncertainty. We don't know how the pandemic is going to turn out and we don't know what's going to happen next. What we do know is that everything works in cycles and be global crises almost always lead to more conflict and tension. Hopefully our government and society has enough rational thinking and judgment to not do something foolish. Us as individuals can only take care of ourselves, prepare for the worst case scenario and become the voice of reason for our community. So share this podcast around and let's become aware of the potential catastrophe we might be facing unless we take precautionary measures against it. So thanks for listening. If you want to support us, then leave us a review on iTunes and the other podcast apps. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.